Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Nick Perkett has secured a supercar's lifeline, landing the vacant seat at Matstone Racing alongside Cameron Hill for 2024 and beyond. Of course, since we last recorded a pod, Perkett's exit from WAU was made official, as were a number of other moves and changes, which we will cover off in detail in the pod. The Perkett MSR deal largely completes the 2024 grid with James Courtney tipped to land at the expanded Blanchard Racing Team alongside Aaron Love. There's been plenty of supercars testing going on ahead of this weekend's Sandown 500 and a bit of drama as well. First, Simona Di Silvestro missed her first wildcard test after undergoing emergency surgery in Switzerland. Then Shane Van Gisbergen suffered a brake failure and a pretty hefty crash at Queensland Raceway. The Melbourne teams, meanwhile, had to deal with some rain at Winton. In other supercars news, the minimum weight of the Gen 3 cars has been raised 5 kilograms ahead of the Sandown 500, while there will be no minimum mandatory number of pit stops for either of the endurance races. The Sandown doubleheader kicked off last weekend with Speed Series action in Springvale. James Moffat claimed a clean sweep in Trans Am. Bailey Sweeney won two of the TCR Australia races to Tony D'Alberto's one. Jim Polisina won the V8 Touring Car Series round, Shane Small in the GT4 round. Cameron McLeod secured Mark Carr's honours and Formula Open went to Ryan Howe. In other Speed Series news, an expanded 10-round provisional calendar for 2024 was unveiled over the Sandown weekend, which is good news. But in less good news in Speed Series ARG land, the exodus from ARG continues. The company recently parted ways with its TV boss, Andrew Jansen, while COO Liam Kirkpatrick has now left as well and is believed to be headed to the SA Motorsport Board. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more as a teammate, they better be ready to do some heavy lifting today, given I'm still technically on holidays and very, very much out of the loop, Stefan Bartholomeus. Stefan, are those bulging shoulders of yours ready to carry me, complete with a bit of holiday ballast on board, if I'm honest, uh, today? Hello, Andrew. This uh, feels like a bit of a shaky start to uh, send down 500 week with the primary mm. driver declaring they need to be carried by the uh, <laughs> by the co-driver. And it sounds like you've done the whole pre-enduro training camp thing the wrong way around. I think I probably have, but um, but that's all right. Look, I've uh, I'm getting excited now. It is uh, it is race week again, and uh, you know it's just awesome to have the Sandown 500 back. And I am very much raring to go. Let's kick things off with the big news of the morning. Uh, MSR has picked its driver to replace Jack LeBrock, and that driver is Nick Perkett. It's a lifeline deal for Nick, really, after a couple of tough seasons at WAU. It's thought he was up against Scott Pye for this seat and has obviously come out on top. We'll get on to what that means for Scott in a little bit. Um, 
Stefan, to me, this is a very solid signing. I know Nick has struggled for the past two seasons, but we know he can thrive in that family team environment. We know he can thrive when he's the clear team leader. And I think this situation will suit him a lot better than being, you know, in what is very clearly Chaz's team at WAU. I also think it's a good move uh, from MSR because we've seen how, you know, uh, JLB really turned his career around there. So they have experience with out-of-form drivers and Nick is, at the end of the day, a proven race winner. At the same time, this is like absolute last chance stuff for Nick and it needs to work for him if he wants to, you know, build his career and continue in the category full-time. Stefan, what are your thoughts on the deal and do you think Nick can rebuild his career at MSR? Well, yeah, primarily it's great to see Percat land on his feet. Like it would have been such a shame if these tough years at WAU were the end of his full-time career. And while he's he struggled, MSR has been one of the real feel-good stories, hasn't it? Like clearly this mm. Gen 3 era with less reliance on design and in-house manufacturing really suits them. So yeah, the opportunity is ahead of both the driver and the team to to now make this work and there'll probably be a little bit of rebuilding of Nick required from a confidence point of view, but certainly if MSR can do for Nick what they've done for Jack, then the results should come. Well, I had a chat to Nick about both his new deal and the endurance races that are coming up and here's what he had to say. Uh, Nick, it's been a frantic, silly season to say the very least. It must be nice to know that, you know, you've got a full-time drive locked away at a time where others are going to miss out. Yeah, it's, um, oh, it's amazing. Um, I guess I was pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty patient or, um, took my time with this. Like it wasn't, you know, I didn't just chase to the death and, um, tried to make sure I was in the in the right place. Um, that would definitely suit you know what I'm after and where I'm at. Um, you know, there's a couple of one year options kicking around, but it wasn't really what suited me. So it was yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, to, I think obviously a two year deal with MSR and um, yeah, I think you know I had the well, I've got the karting team and stuff going on and a few other bits and pieces. So I was like, oh, well, it could go one of two ways. I might not be on the grid or. Um, you know, or the right thing will come up and yeah, it all happened quite quickly, but it's, um, yeah, it feels like the right thing. And I kind of said to myself that didn't want to commit until I sat down with Matt and the team and actually went up there to visit, to get a feel of the workshop and you know, the whole thing of how they actually go about their day to days. And, um, within the first 10 minutes, I already had it in my head. I'm like, nah, I need to be at this place. Cause it, it just had the right feel about it. And, um, yeah, I'm super excited to be joining them. You've thrived in that family team environment before. Did that play into the decision to pursue the seat? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely was a factor. Um, the yeah, I think yeah, when I got there and Matt kind of showed me around and yeah, really spoke about how it's you know all hands on deck or um, you know it's you know it's everyone from engineering and Matt and anyone, everyone else is helping him manage it. They're on the ground as well, helping build the cars, and it really does have a, I guess, a family feel, and um, I think that was important for me. And um, I guess, yeah, I think that was a bit of a factor because if I walked in there, to be honest, and I said this to Matt, I said if I came up and it didn't have the right feel or um, you know, probably the, the right culture, I probably wouldn't have you know, tried to chase it with him or worked with him to make it happen. So, um, yeah, I was, I was definitely <laughs> relieved that it, it kind of 
I guess it's like a you know, near like a two car BJR team, which is um it yeah it felt nice, and he's got a few faces there that were at BJR when I was there, so um yeah, it kind of definitely made me feel comfortable. I mean, the, the brutal honesty is the last couple of seasons clearly haven't gone to plan. I guess that does place you know a, a fair bit of importance on making this work with MSR, so you can reestablish yourself as one of the top drivers in the series. Yeah, hundred percent. There's uh, absolutely <laughs> no doubting or nowhere to hide on that. It's uh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't say the last few years have been great. I, I, you know, I've been asked if I you know, regret the decision to go to WAU, but you know, there's definitely none of that. It's yeah, you know, everything kind of happens for a reason, and um, just the cards just didn't fall the right way. The timings of WAU and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely keen to you know get stuck in and make this work. And um, yeah, it's even just, you know, having a good young teammate with Cameron Hill. Um, you know, I've watched him for years through Formula Ford, I actually ran a Formula Ford against him um, back in the day when he was battling for the championship there and and all that kind of stuff. So it's, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting, you know, hooked into it and, um, you know, my my family's happier because I'm back in the GM product, so Christmas will be easier. Um, so yeah, no, it's um, it all kind of has the right feel about it. But uh, yeah, definitely keen to you know just get back to going racing and being normal Nick and you know back at the front and um, you know you don't just forget how to drive overnight. So it's uh, yeah, it's definitely exciting. I was going to ask you about Cam because his pedigree is actually quite similar to yours. You know, he was like super yeah. successful in Formula Ford, super successful in Porsches. You do tend to keep an eye on younger talent closer than most of the main game guys. Do you feel like, you know, he's obviously he's had a pretty impressive rookie season. Do you feel like he's a guy you can work pretty closely and strongly with? Yeah, 100%. You know, I haven't worked with him like super close, but like I said, I've kept definitely kept an eye and um, yeah, he's really fast and obviously the Formula Ford and what he did in the cup car and, and super two, I think, you know, he was definitely impressive in that. And then, you know, this year, I think he's had a better year than it looks on paper. Um, you know, probably a few things just haven't fallen his way really. And, um, he has um, good speed and, you know, Matt has a lot of praise for him, which I think is backed by, you know, re-signing him for another deal, um, to make sure he stayed. And, um, yeah, from everything I'm hearing is, you know, his work ethics really, really high and he, he's just a bit of a go-getter in that regard so I'm it uh it does yeah we do sound pretty similar which is um which is good and um yeah I think it'd be nice to you know, have the young teammate there to, they've always got new ideas and tricks so it'd be good to hear what they get up to uh we're heading into the enduro season now switching focus to this year we all know the old saying about a good result this time of year can turn a bad season around Pretty quickly, you're coming off the back of a decent outing at the bend. At the same time, we've still got these kind of question marks about the Ford parody and all that sort of stuff. Where's your confidence heading into the long distance races? Um, obviously, yeah, it was nice to have a good result at Tail and Bend. It was kind of like the first weekend we didn't have little niggling Gen Three things going on, and it all ran smoothly. And yeah, you know, the results kind of just flow on because you have a, a, a smooth weekend. So I'm, I'm very lucky and fortunate they got Fabs with me. Um, Obviously, in duro time, the WU team steps up and they're very impressive when it comes to the preparation level and everything that goes into the enduro season. So it's always exciting to be, you know, um, great to have Sandown back as the, not even a warm-up, it's a bloody full-on endurance race, but then obviously rolling out at Bathurst and Car 2 is always pretty special. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The parody side of things, you know, I think 
to be honest, Caleb Ben, <laughs> the results say that the forward's pretty handy now. So I think, yep. um, I think the surely the parody chats are all kind of done with, and um, we just get on with racing. And it's going to be all new for everyone. You know, the the fuel takes longer to get into cars. Um, changing brakes on these cars is um, similar or same system, but you know it's a different car, and you know where the spike man is in the car uh, in relation to the driver and the fuel. It, you know, everything's just that little bit different. So. Um, I think there's a lot of room for mistakes, so there's big opportunity to you know just have a clean race and have a good result. As a as a uh, as one of the taller blokes in the field, what's it like? Uh, what's what's uh, driver change practice been like? Um, for me, it's been fine. Um, I'm tall, but I also have like the hips of a ten year old, so right. <laughs> uh, I can get in and out of the thing no different to the old car. Um, the hardest thing for the – I'm not sure the Chev side's like, but the Ford Mustang, the door doesn't actually open that far. So um, the way me and Fabian do it is I basically – well, the person getting in stands outside of the door um, and you kind of do a little switch and you swoop in. But where the old car, you know, the you could fit both drivers between the door opening. Um, yeah. So that's probably the hardest thing. I'm not sure if it's the same for the – in the Camaros, but that's probably the hardest thing with the Fords. Um, and also the fuel filler is very, very close to the, the actual door opening. So um, I think all the Ford guys who, when they put fuel in, they, got, they actually have to plug the fuel in and then twist their hands 90 degrees to get them out of the way of the, door, um, the, the window and everything coming past. So there's a few little interesting things that we have to manage. But um, yeah, so far it's not too bad getting in and out. Uh, and you're off to Malaysia to Sepang with a um, with a few carts helping your kids out at the Asia Pacific Motorsport Games. When's all that happening? Yeah, so I think that's um, a week or so after Sandown. So I basically get back the week of Bathurst. Um, yeah, it's super exciting. I've, um, obviously, I run a kid called uh, Brad Madgeman, who's um, I've known him for years now. We we managed to get a win at the last round of the Australian Kart Championships and. Yeah, we're heading off over there. So I've, I think I spent about four days rebuilding his cart, giving it a big birthday and packing everything to go to Sepang. And um, you forget how much stuff you carry in your van or trailer when you have to, you know, ship it all over. Um, so, yeah it's, yeah, it's definitely exciting. And there's a few other, you know, Aussies going up over with us to make up the Team Australia, which, you know, um, a couple I've worked with before and a few others I haven't. So it'll be cool to see some other young talent coming through the karting ranks and, yeah, see what they're up to, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's a definite passion of mine, the karting. So, um, you know, go over there and you know take my little star driver Brad to have a crack at winning a big race over there. Be very cool. All right, Steph, and I'll just quickly run through the major announcements for 2024 since we've been on our little mid-season break. So, Tickford confirmed that it will scale back to two cars next season as has long been expected, with two of its teams racing charters going back to supercars. The remaining Tickford cars will be raced by Cam Waters and Tommy Randall. It's also been confirmed that one of the outgoing Tickford TRCs has been on-sold to Blanchard Racing Team, which will expand to two cars next season, leaving us at a nice and neat 24-car field. Team 18 has confirmed that Pi will leave and be replaced by David Reynolds, and WAU announced that Super 2 rookie Ryan Wood will indeed be promoted to the main game as a replacement for Nick Perkat. With Pi now out of the running for the MSR seat, it looks very likely that the music is going to stop without him having a full-time seat, and that's because James Courtney is expected to land at BRT alongside Aaron Love. 
So barring a major surprise being sprung somewhere like Albury, we're pretty much we pretty much have our grid locked in, um, and that means Declan Fraser and Zach Best will miss out as well. Um, Stefan, not all this is exactly new news given we've been away for a couple of weeks, but it's worth a quick chat about a few things. I think you know, firstly, how wild is it that we're going to have a smaller grid? But still, some of this fresh talent like Wood and Love coming into the category, and not to mention the great Stanaway comeback. Absolutely. Having those three in there is a pretty exciting prospect and an exciting outcome from what's been a really busy, silly season. I think like the sheer number of seats changing hands is, is obviously significant. There's a lot of change, and it feels like these deals have been done or at least announced earlier than normal as well. So there's a lot of team and driver relationships that are that are ending. They've, they've sort of broken up, but they've still got to live together for the rest of the year. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics to play out in the next few months beyond just the Will Brown and Erebus example that everyone's been talking about to this point. What's your take on the move to a 24-car grid for next year? You know, I do really like how this silly season has shaken out. I think it's a strong enough field and it could be a nice and open title fight if the Mustang is up to it next season. But I still, I don't know, there's something about less cars being good news that I still don't fully agree with, even if I do appreciate some of the upsides to it. Oh, well, in isolation, losing a car is not good news at all. Like I don't think anyone in the grandstand would cheer for the grid contracting. But by the same token, it was 24 cars as recently as 2021. So we're only losing that one car that we gained. And in reality, it probably doesn't impact the show. And if you look at the reason that has been pushed by supercars for this, it's obviously the situation with with the air freight needing to reduce it to 24 to fit in one plane and therefore keep those travel costs under control. So... If you look at it through the lens of would you trade losing a car for having a New Zealand round back, if that's really the equation, then I'd say it's probably a net win, to be honest, as much as it is a shame to, to lose a car at any point. Yeah, that is a, a pretty good point. I'll give you that one. Um, let's move on to the Sandown doubleheader, Stefan, uh, and I guess it makes logical sense to start with the Speed Series round last weekend. And boy, I hope you were paying attention because – uh, and I actually hate saying this on the pod. I really wasn't uh, on the case at all. Uh, what caught your eye from the Sandown weekend? I'm disappointed. I thought everyone in Germany would be talking speed series. Mm. Surely they've got Stan Sport over there. Yeah, definitely. No, that's uh, They're all massive Tony D'Alberto fans in this part of the world. Don't you worry. Well, yeah, it was another weekend, I guess, of the speed series where you look at the car counts and hear the talk of, some of the changes within the organisation and there's clearly a bit going on behind the scenes. But in terms of a racing product on the TV, there was a fair bit to like. I think the Trans Am racing was action-packed and TCR and V8 Touring Cars, they had their moments as well. And and you mentioned Tony there. Like if there's one thing that you do actually need to go back and make sure you see, it's his work at the end of race three, for TCR where he managed to climb over the top of Jordan Cox and Michael Clemente on the last lap for the podium and his pass on the Cupra was around the outside at the top of the hill. It was a seriously big move and I think that was the highlight of the weekend. 
I will definitely go and check that out. Just a bit more sort of impromptu chat about those changes that you mentioned. And obviously, I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, Andrew Jansen is has now left ARG or you know part of ways with ARG. Uh, Liam Kirkpatrick as well. That's a big loss, obviously, because um, he really was pulling a lot of strings and and, and doing a lot to, to keep the whole show um, afloat there. But the TV thing's interesting because when it sort of came to light that. Um, that things were changing in terms of, you know, the executive production of uh, the TV package, it sort of also came to light that Motorsport Australia had pretty much decided that it was going to reclaim those rights and do something different with them. That does open the door for that platform to potentially move from Stan Sport. It doesn't guarantee it, but it certainly opens the um, certainly opens the door for that, you know, and even – I mean, even moving, if it could move to a Foxtel slash KO um, platform, it would just, I mean, it would be nothing at Stan Sport, but it would be such a big step forward for those categories to be on even a subscription TV service that people already have if they love motorsport. They have it for supercars and they have it for Formula One and they've probably got it for the footy, whatever footy code that they follow. Jeez, it would really help some eyeballs in those categories and it might be the key to kickstarting a few of those things yeah it just needs to to find a way to to reach a bigger audience beyond uh beyond the relatively small number that they get currently with stan so hopefully these changes can uh can help all of those categories and that they can uh, improve things for next year for the competitors well, the second leg of the Sandown doubleheader is, of course, the long-awaited return of the Sandown 500. I'm very excited, Stefan, although I would imagine the stats-happy house that is V8 Sleuth would be even more excited that such an iconic event is coming back. Uh, Stefan, let's run through our top five pairings for Sandown, not in terms of results necessarily, but just the pairs that catch our interest, although I do want your predicted winner among your five here. I'll kick things off with Garth Tander in a Ford. That alone is fascinating enough, but alongside David Reynolds, what a combo for these big races. Richie Stanaway and Shane Van Gisbergen, they are my Sandown winners at this stage and a return to the place where Richie really made a name for himself. That's going to be um, pretty cool to see as he looks to you know, begin the process of rebuilding his career. Um, Brody and Dave Russell, you know, we've seen Dave really perform at Bathurst the last couple of years, but boy, there's a bit at stake now. So this is a really big test for him as he looks to help Brody really cement his position uh, as the man to beat for the title. Um, Slady and Jono Webb, I mean, who isn't fascinated to see how Webby, one of the great enigmas of Aussie motorsport, goes on his return to supercars. Um, and I'll finish with Chaz and Holdsy because it's Chaz and Holdsy. And last time they teamed up, they did pretty darned well. Stefan, who's your top five and why? Yeah, you've uh, found a good set there. Just wherever you look in the field, there's storylines everywhere, regardless of whether they're actual sort of genuine race-winning contenders or not. So I think we touched on the silly season before and, and some of the young talent that have found seats for next year, but there's probably a couple of guys who look like they've they've missed out and will be keen to actually prove a point now in these enduros. And, you know, Zach Best in there with James Courtney. You look at Jaden Ojeda with Jack LeBrock, like they're potentially going to have pretty good cars and an opportunity to, to shine on, on the big stages. So there's those guys, and I think it's also it's always fun to see how an international goes as well. So having Kevin Estra with Matt Payne, um, he, he's going to be one to watch, whether it's for a result or, or just to see where, where his level's at compared to all these supercars guys. And again, like you, you named a couple of the good contenders earlier, I think Cam Waters and, and James Moffat 
are right up there as a combination. They'll be in the conversation if the Mustangs can hang on to their tyres, which which is a pretty big if. And clearly tyres and tyre life are going to be a, a big talking point for everyone and really have a big impact on the race. But in terms of an absolute pre-race favourite, I think the 97 and the 99 are pretty hard to split, but it is tough to go against Triple Eight's Sandown record when you look at what they've done there over the years. Uh, yep, that is also a very good set there. That is, it's actually like I'm just getting excited even thinking about, you know, this race and how. I know we've had all this stuff with the Mustang and that, but it is kind of, there is still some really strong pairings out there and there's some, um, it's going to be a fascinating race. Like you say, even just between Triple Eight and the Erebus cars, yeah. That's uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Hey, some exciting news, Stefan. Our favourite segment of this pod is back. It's time for the first time in a long time to play some What Caught My Eye on My105.com. Uh, now, Stefan, having been out of the game for a while, it was a pretty daunting task to go through all of the latest listings. Uh, I did get a good 10 pages in before I realised that there was a listing on page one that I just couldn't go past this week. Uh, now it's for a Ford Focus RS in tarmac rally spec. You'll own it for a buck under fifty grand. And what caught my eye is the photography because the main pick is of the thing with just one wheel, the front left, if you can believe that, touching the <laughs> ground. Uh, it's a bold choice on your please buy my well looked after rally car ad, and I just can't go past just making that choice. And just I love it. I just love it. What caught your eye, Stefan? I guess you're not wearing things out while it's actually flying through the air, so maybe that ah, was the point. that was the good logic point. there. But you're right; there's heaps of cool cars for sale at the moment. You can uh, you can spend hours on there looking at it all. And what really caught my eye is that my 105 has added online auctions now to its offerings as well. And the first cab off the rank there is a Mark One Ford Escort, which you know is uh, right up my street. It's a pretty mm, serious yeah, looking improved production spec car as well. And it's uh, already attracted plenty of bids. So, uh, yeah, interested to at least see what that ends up going for. Is one of those bids from a Bartholomew's S from from the Gold Coast? I wouldn't like to show my hand uh, too early. No, okay, fair enough. Well, I look forward to uh, I look forward to seeing it when we get up there for the race in uh, not that many weeks' time, actually. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at what happened around the world over the weekend. Jorge Martin scored the MotoGP double at Mazzano, winning both the Sprint and the Grand Prix itself. That puts him in title contention, although series leader Peko Bagnaia, injured in Barcelona in the previous race, did score a remarkable third. Jack Miller was collected by Michel Pirro on lap four and was a DNF. Toyota wrapped up the World Endurance Championship manufacturer's title with a 1-2 finish at Fuji. The win went to Kamui Kobayashi, Mike Conway, and Jose Maria Lopez, ahead of Brendan Hartley, Rio Hirakawa, and Sebastian Buemi. Calais Roven Perra won a brutal Acropolis rally ahead of Toyota teammate Elfin Evans. Scott Dixon led a Kiwi 1-2 ahead of Scotty Mack in the IndyCar finale at Laguna Seca, while 2023 Series champion Alex Pillow was third. Will Power finished fourth, and Tyler Reddick took an overtime win in the NASCAR Cup Series race at Kansas. Martin Truex Jr., Bubba Wallace, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Michael McDowell are the four drivers in danger of being eliminated from the playoffs with a single race left in the first round. 
Okay, Castro mailbag time. Tom Mack asks, why the retro liveries at Sandown came to an end? Uh, well, Tom, it was all a bit tricky when the Sandown 500 was axed. And remember, that wasn't actually because of COVID because the 500 was moving to the bend in 2020 had it not been for the pandemic anyway. So the whole retro round thing was already kind of up in the air. Um, and the thing that's not always considered with these theme rounds is just how expensive they are for the team. So, you know, we've already got the Indigenous round in play. Everyone's talking about costs with these Gen 3 cars. It's potentially just a bit too much at the moment. What do you reckon, Stefan? Yeah, I think it's important to point out as well that the retro round liveries were never actually compulsory. Like I think there are only a dozen yeah. cars that actually ran them in 2019, the last retro round, and there was talk of whether it was going to be mandatory or not. And, and since then, we've had this Indigenous round concept there that is compulsory as part of the deal between supercars and the NT government. So as you say, like it's a big ask to tell the teams to, to spend this money once, let alone twice in a year. And now, unfortunately, Sandown isn't even a free-to-air TV race. So the return on the investment isn't as good as it was before. But of course, teams are still free to do liveries whenever it works for them. So you know, full credit to Penrite and Grove Racing for the Moffat colours they've just revealed for this weekend in partnership with Dementia Australia. Like, that's a really nicely executed program from, from the livery to the genuine meaning behind it. I think that's uh, that's very well done by those guys. There'll also be an amazing retro livery in Super 2 with Jack Perkins paying tribute to his father, Larry's 1993 Bathurst-winning Castrol Commodore. And again, they've done a stunning job with that remake. They've gone the next level with a race suit and hats and the whole shooting match as well. So full credit to Jack for the effort that's gone into that and also his sponsor, Shore and Partners, for backing it and helping make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. My Castrol Star, Stefan, is going to Marcus Armstrong, uh, a Kiwi we probably don't speak uh, enough about on the pod, but he wrapped up the IndyCar Rookie of the Year title with eighth at Laguna Seca, despite only doing the road courses. Um, he's set to get his full-time shot with CGR next season, and that is clearly very well-deserved. Stefan, who gets your Castrol Star? Well, I'm sticking with the IndyCar theme, but for me, the driver who really shone, the, the true star of the week from Laguna Seca was the pace car driver, Oriol Servia. There were eight safety car periods totaling 35 laps in that race to the extent that the little Honda didn't Civic- it, Didn't it run out of fuel? Yeah, it, it needed to be refueled during the race, exactly. So I think that sums up what a mad finish to the uh, IndyCar season it was. And of course, it concluded with uh, another incredible- Dixon recovery drive to, to take the win. I thought you were either going uh, with that or with uh, Stingray Rob or Stingray Bob or whatever, just because of his uh, his name. I thought he might get the nod just on the name there. I didn't quite know where you were going with that. Oh, at yep. the last round. Yep. No, I thought that's where you might be going. But anyway, no, that is very good. Um, and that is also it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door.
The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.